following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. You may be seated. Jesus as a circus clown. <laughs> wow. His brothers were ridiculing him in John 7, 1 through 36. Uh, they did not believe in him. The Pharisees were questioning his authority to teach in the synagogue. They were questioning the authority of the living word <laughs> to teach in his own synagogue. They wanted him, you see, to perform, and because he wouldn't perform in the way they wanted him to perform, they rejected him. But that did not keep him from fulfilling his mission. In chapter 6, he declares his mission in verses 38 through 40, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, and certainly not to do your will, <laughs> brothers and Pharisees, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Despite his circumstances, despite being run down by his own brothers and by the religious leaders, he was on mission and gladly fulfilling it because he was looking to the glory of his Father. He was bringing words of life. He was bringing hope to a lost people. He was trying to free the captives. And some of us in this place today need to be freed. Some of us need to hear and to know the freedom that Jesus offers. The freedom from yourself and the prison of your own identity. Seeking to build it by yourself. Some of us need to be freed to the glory of the Father. As we look at John 7 this morning, we see that Jesus was, was free to live not governed by his circumstances. And some of us might say, well, of course, he was God. But he was not just God, he was also man. And because of that, I think we need to understand that the man in Jesus was not unaffected by his critics. Because some, as we just see in the passage, that some were his own brothers. And because of that, he was certainly affected, but he was not distracted. And I think what we see in this passage is the hope for us that indeed we too can live through life not needing God necessarily to change our circumstances, but to give us power in the midst of our circumstances, to give us hope in the midst of our circumstances. And if you look at John chapter 7, verse 18, here's where I'm getting that. We read, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. This is Jesus to the Pharisees. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, 
and in him there is no falsehood. That's where I want us to focus this morning. Jesus' words, the one who speaks on his own authority, verse 18, seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. What Jesus is teaching us this morning in this passage is there is a way to go through this world and not be of this world. There's a way to be in this world but not of this world. And it's by looking to the glory of the Father and rejecting and not living for the glory of men or women. How do we do that? The first is we've got to stop controlling God and start following God. We've got to stop controlling God, and we have to start following God. If you read through John chapter 7, you see his brothers, James, Judas, Simon, and Jude, or, um, uh, and, and Joseph, are, are objecting him. It, it says that they did not believe him. But why didn't they believe him? They didn't believe him because we see in verses 3 through 4, we read these words. They, they were mocking him. They, they were saying, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. But if you do these things, show yourself to the world. His own brothers were saying, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are equal with God, then why don't you go up to Judea right now and show yourself to the crowd? Because the Feast of Booths was going on in Judea. And all of the Jews were there. They were celebrating the, the first fruits and remembering God's provision for them in the wilderness. They, they were camping out in tents and, 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 and rejoicing in how God provided for them in the wilderness. So everyone was there. It would have been the perfect opportunity. It would have been like the packed FedEx forum. I mean, if Jesus were here today, we would say, well, go to the forum and reveal yourself if you really are the Son of God. Go, go do something incredible. Touch Jah's knee and let him go out there and beat uh, Golden State. I mean, we would want him to do something that would be self-serving for us, but also reveal his own glory to the world. But Jesus didn't come to fulfill the wishes of his brothers. He came to fulfill the wishes of his father. Have you ever been in a position where you were demanding God demonstrate his godliness or his godness to you? Have you ever put demands on God? I just know that this has to be your will. And yet God has a completely different purpose. I could give you a thousand illustrations from my own life, but one of recent is Claiborne Temple. I just knew from the very, the first morning that I moved to downtown Memphis and I walked out my door and I saw Claiborne Temple, the first home of Second Pres that was planning us, downtown church, right here. The, the site of, um, uh, of so many civil rights moments. Uh, the I Am A Man March starting right there. It's, it's right, it's, three, it's in 38126. Uh, it's right on the border. We're a bridge church. It fits everything. And then there were opportunities, and it seemed to be that, that things were moving in that direction. Oh, look at God, look at God, and then the dead end, and here we are in a gym at Streets Ministry. Thank you, God, for this gym. Has God ever taken you down a road only to find it dead ends? 
but it dead ends into him. You see, that's what God is more concerned about. He's not so much concerned about giving us things. Of course he gives us things. He is the giver of all good gifts. But he wants to give us the best gift, and that is himself. Friends, if you're on a road right now and it feels like you're hitting a dead end, I want you to know that there is purpose in that dead end. And it may not be the purpose you want, but it's the purpose you need, and his name is Jesus. Open your eyes. Stop demanding and start following. Stop predicting and projecting and start submitting. That's the God that we serve. That's what he is always about. I still don't see clearly about Claiborne Temple, but you know what? I don't have to because I know the God that led us, and I know the God that still leads us, and his ways and purposes are good. And friends, that's not an isolated incident. That's pretty much the normative way of how God works. He seems to allow our dreams to crash that his dream might flourish. What a glorious God we serve. And this, friends, goes beyond just circumstantial realities. We, we need to trust God, not just in the fog, but we also need to trust God when his light exposes our darkness. In verse 7, we, we read this. This is his comment to his brothers, the, telling him and trying to convince him to go up to Judea. The world cannot hate you, but it already hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. See, the people, people missed him because they didn't like what he had to expose in their lives. Let me just tell you that if you have a Jesus that you want to affirm your way of life and your way of living, it's not the biblical Jesus. If you don't have a Jesus that can tell you no, you don't have the biblical Jesus. If you don't know what it means to wrestle with God, saying, please, 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 I, I want this to be right. I want this to be light and not darkness. But then at the end of the day, know that what he says is true, then you don't know the biblical Jesus. The heart of, secu of secular man, the heart of unbelief says, if I don't see a good reason for it, then there must not be one. But the heart of the Christian says, if I don't see a, a, a good reason in it, there must be one, because he's good. That's what the Christian life is. It's walking by faith, not by sight. It's trusting God in the hard times. It's trusting God when everything in you is saying no. It's trusting God when everyone else around you is saying it is right, but you say, but my Jesus says it's wrong, and I have to obey him. Because he loves me. This is the nature of the Christian life. I love Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Dear friends, that's the God of glory. He, you are not his advisor. I am not his advisor. And oh, I try to be. Oh, I know his will so much. But only he knows his will. <laughs> and he is good. Stop trying to control God and begin to follow him. Secondly, be all about his glory and not your own. Be about his glory and not your own. This is what Jesus was saying in, in verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there's no falsehood in him. That was the key to Jesus' freedom, is he sought the glory of God, not his own glory. Did y'all see, so the Timberwolves came to town. I hate to even bring up the playoffs. We're all wounded, but I'll get to that in a second. But when the Timber, Timberwolves were here, remember the game when the, the, um, the girl chained herself to the goalpost? Well, security got a little wiser after that and apparently identified the next protester. And they were like, th this uh, female security guard was sitting like here on the second row, or, or sitting right here, and the protester was here. And they must have known she was a protester because this security guard, I mean, was like on go. Like, you didn't know it, but she wasn't ordering popcorn and beer. She was on go. Because as soon as that girl, I don't know, late in the second quarter, early in the third or something, as soon as she gets up, I mean like one, she twitches. And that security guard is on her and throws her on the hardwood floor. And everybody's like, what in the world just happened? And the lesson learned is you better not seek glory for yourself <laughs> in the FedEx form around her or you're going you're gonna to be landing hard. Friends, the reality is it's true with God, too. It's all defined in the forum. The forum is not there for us to get glory, but the players. And if we go in there seeking glory for ourselves, we're going to get in trouble. We're going to get kicked out of there. And friends, it's the same way in the kingdom of God. The more glory we seek the more harm we do. The more glory we seek, the more pain we feel. Why? Because there's only one. We have one job description. That is to bring glory to God. Why? Because He deserves it. Because He and He alone deserves glory. And that is our purpose, is to bring glory to Him. I think much of our misery comes because we are seeking glory that belongs to God. If you look... Um, you know, at the, at, in verse 18 again, Jesus says, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. This was so tricky of Jesus because he wasn't saying, hey, Pharisees, this is you. But he was saying, Pharisees, this is you. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. And what Jesus was doing is he was pinpointing the, the, the problem and the, the cancer within us all. We are glory seekers. That's why there are billions and billions and billions of social media accounts. Social media is like throwing gas on a fire of glory seekers because we can promote ourselves we can seek glory. 
We can get likes. We can be shared. We can be retweeted. We can get glory, and we can feel good about ourselves as other people affirm our glory. And yet we were not created to get glory, but to give it. In fact, we were created, let me say it differently, we were created to be part of glory as we bring glory to God. That's what we're doing at the Grizz game. We want them to win. Why? So that we all share in the glory. And that's what we're doing here. Why are we worshiping God? Why do we want to leave here more convinced about the glory of God than our own glory? Why do we want Him to grow much larger than us? Because that's where the freedom is. If we can leave here not thinking about us, but thinking more about Him, we experience life and joy and peace. Why? Because that's what we're made for. It, it's in, it works in all areas of life. If you're not into sports, and I know a lot of, a lot of people aren't, if you love a, a, a writer, an author, and they write an incredible piece, and you just glory in it, you feel part of it, you get caught up in the glory of that which is outside of you. Why? Because it's resonating with your need to, to bring glory to that which is glorious. And that's what we're made for. We were created to give that glory away. And this is what Jesus displays. And it's what Jesus frees us to. He came to give glory to the Father. And it's interesting, when he did that, uh, as he did that, he, he, did not, he was not swayed by the threats and um, the hate around him, but those in the crowd were. In verse 13 of chapter 7, we read, Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And yet we also read throughout that passage that Jesus is constantly, his brothers saying, Hey, now would be a great time for you to go up to Judea. It's the Feast of Booze. And he says, What? My time has not yet come. It's not because he fears man. It's because he is following his father, not his brothers. And yet for us, we say, you know, we... we um, um, you know, we don't speak of Jesus. Why? Because we fear man. What are they going to think of me? How are they going to feel about me? What, you know, and what we see in this passage is Jesus is more consumed with the glory of his Father than he is about fearing the opinion of, man, of men. Friends, if you want to speak openly of Jesus, you've got to be so wrapped up in his glory that you can't shut up. I mean, that's why we talk about the Grizz. That's why we talk about our favorite composer, our favorite band. That's why we talk about our favorite author or, you know, some incredible event at work. Why? Because we're caught up in it. It's resonating with us. Is God resonating with you? That's why you're not speaking openly about him. We will speak openly about him when we get caught up in his glory, which leads us to our third and final point. Start believing his glory is your good. Start believing that getting caught up in his glory is the greatest good that you can possibly find. The people in verse 24 are saying, can this be the Christ? And uh, somebody from Jerusalem says, is this not uh, the man that the Pharisees seek to kill? Why aren't they, he's teaching openly in the synagogue, then why aren't they um, going after him? They must believe in him. And at that moment, the Pharisees issue an arrest warrant. 
They're like, oh, I'll show you we don't believe in him. We want to arrest him. And in chapter 5, verse 18, it, it exposes the reality that they want to kill him. They want to kill him. And, um, and, and the people are, are, you know, there's all this mystery. Um, toward the end of the of chapter, uh, it's like th verses 34 through 36 of chapter 7, um, Jesus knows there's been an arrest warrant um, issued, and he starts speaking mysteriously. He says, where I go, you cannot follow. You will not find me because where I go, you cannot, you know, you, you can't see me. And they're like, what is, what is he talking about? Is he going to the uh, dispersion of the Greeks? Or, you know, what, what in the world is he talking about? And it's all shrouded in mystery, and no one really knows what's going on. And isn't that how it feels following Jesus so much of the time? <laughs> we don't really know what he's doing. We don't really understand what's happening. We, we don't understand why God is calling the roads to New Zealand, and I still don't believe he is. I think that's of the devil, by the way. <laughs> we don't understand why God does so much of the things that he does. And yet, in this moment, all the people, the Pharisees, the people, the Jewish leaders, all of them have no idea what he's doing, but you know what he's doing? He is accomplishing their salvation. In, in John chapter 12, verse 23, it says, now is the time, Jesus says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you know how he's glorified? He is falsely tried, he's accused on false grounds, falsely tried, falsely found you know, guilty and condemned to execution. And I'm telling you, if we were there, we would be thinking the exact same thing. Nothing good can come of this. And yet, the salvation of the world, the, the death of death, the death of sin, the reality of the, the seal of the new heaven and the new earth is about to happen as Jesus goes into the tomb and then three days later comes out of the tomb. Are you at a point right now where you are questioning the goodness of God? Let me tell you something. You may be tasting death, but there is resurrection coming. And it may not be a greater paycheck. It may be a lesser paycheck. It may not be a healing of your... But there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. Jesus is coming back, and he is going to make all things new because he is king, and he reigns supreme over all things. And you can trust that indeed you can know the end from the beginning because he is on his way. Is that the Jesus you know? Do you have a Jesus that you can follow through the fog? Do you have a Jesus that you can follow when your, your, your body, everything in you is saying, it's, this is a hard teaching. It is so hard for me to accept that I need to give this up or I need to embrace this. I fear that everybody around me is going to shun me, and Jesus says, I'm enough for you. I'm enough. Is Jesus enough for you this morning? Friends, he is passionately pursuing each person in John chapter 7, and he wants their hearts. He doesn't want to just put a little improvement on their lives. He wants to own their hearts. I love Hosea. In Hosea... 
I read it to our staff this week in verses 14 through 20. He says three times, this prophecy three times, that, that God wants to marry us. <laughs> the God of heaven and earth has chosen you as his spouse. Out of all the dates in the world, he's chosen you as his spouse. Do you feel that much love from God this morning? Do you understand the beauty of that reality that he wants to lavish his love upon you? As we come to the table this morning, may we know that that's the kind of Jesus that we worship. We worship a Jesus that, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, that we might know his love this morning and we might understand his glory and we might be so caught up in it that we go out into the world and openly speak of him. May that be the case. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are not our circus clown, but you are the king of glory. Lord, draw us higher up and deeper into you, even as we come to this table this morning. We pray for your glory and for our good. Amen. Receive the benediction. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Uh, may the light of his countenance be upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.